So we started this series of messages. Thank you, Val, so much. You're on top of it. Man, we didn't even talk today, and you're already clicking away. It's so awesome. All right. Uh, a series of messages titled, We Are, and our first one uh, last week, we said, We Are Life and Light. So we're going to review a little bit, and then we're going to uh, jump forward here, okay? Oh, that's weird. All right. So I loved that video, and I wanted to share it to you for this reason. At the end, I forget her name. Was it uh, Jen or something like that? I don't know, whatever. Okay, we'll just call her Jen. Anyways, uh, she said this, uh, she made this statement. She said, let's all do our something. Did you hear her say that? Let's all do our something. So we individually may not necessarily be able to solve all the problems in the world, all right? But let's do our something. Uh, Just a side note, I was watching this interesting video this week of some of the dynamics between uh, border towns at the American and Mexican border in the States. And if you've been alive the last few years, you know that that borderline is a little bit controversial, all right? And uh, anyways, so one fellow who I think was born in, in Mexico, or at least had Mexican descent, but lived in America, he was an architect, and he wanted to do something to just kind of bring the communities together. So it was cool. Long story short, they actually put in seesaws on the uh, border wall metal grate thingy, and ki- American kids and adults and Mexican kids and adults were on this seesaw playing with each other. And it was just this cool picture of building bridges. And I think of let's do our something. That was that guy's let's do our something. Now, it wasn't like a Christian sort of thing. He was just being a good citizen. But let's all do our something. So we are life and light. We learned that last week. This Uh, This series of messages is going to help us identify with who we are as a church, who we are as a house, who we are as a family. For me, this falls into the vision category of the future of our church. Well, like I said last time, will these statements uh, that that I make over the next uh, couple weeks stay true forever? Well, most of them will just because they're based out of Scripture, right? And Scripture doesn't change. But you see, these messages are meant to bring us together and help us to pull on the same rope at the same time. Now, you remember this from last week. Val put it up on the screen. I got a new picture today. The vision of our church is that we'd all be on the same side of the tug-of-war rope. All right? There's actually a petition out there to bring tug-of-war back to the Olympics. I thought that was interesting. I didn't know it was an Olympic sport at one time. All right. When uh, we all pull because we pull together. Imagine all of us pulling on one side of the tug-of-war rope. Some of us may be stronger than others and vice versa, but pulling with the power of the Holy Spirit and the favor of God, we won't lose. That's what that song Defender was talking about. Like, we're not going to lose. So take a deep breath. Let's buckle our seatbelts again, and let's get going. So last week we started these messages, and I'm excited to share more today. Last week we learned that we are life and light. We took a look at reaching and building and raising. When we are life and light, we are reaching out to, our, uh, to those around us. We're building the church together, and we are raising new believers. We are raising and developing people in the things of God. You know, as I took a moment uh, this week, I try to listen back to the messages, either watch them on video or listen to our podcast. Raise your hand if you've ever visited our church website. Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Just keep on going back so we get our hits up, all right? But as uh, I I took a moment to on uh, last week's message, I was listening to it in my truck this week. What I said and what I said, the Lord reminded me of the diverse backgrounds 
uh, especially church backgrounds represented in our church. So when, when we talk about diversity, we often talk about culture and skin color and all that kind of stuff, which is true. But the, in the church, we know that there's a diverse amount of church backgrounds. I can look across this room and I see, uh, and I know some of your stories, many of your stories, and I know that not everyone uh, was in a Pentecostal church all their life. Some people say to me, actually I told, uh, give a shout out to Pastor Rick at the Baptist Church. I told him my parents, I grew up in the Baptist Church and he looked at me and he said, what happened to you? And <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. But uh, anyways, and so we all come from different uh, backgrounds, especially church backgrounds. You see, I grew up in a church where I thought it was good. I thought he was healthy. There was good people. We had good times together. But as I've grown older, I've recognized some of its flaws. I recognize some of its flaws. Obviously, no church is perfect. No church is perfect because it is composed of people. And let me tell you something. If you're not married, you may not know this, but you're not perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> the people laughing are the married folks. All right. Oh, man, so true. <laughs> I've never been more humble than I, from 12 years ago. Okay. As I've grown older, uh, we, I've seen different things in church. And so uh, and no church is perfect. And the same is true of our church. Queensway isn't perfect. We have flaws. We have areas that, are need, that we're needed to grow. And we need to grow in different areas and different uh, ministries at our church. As the Lord was bringing to my mind some of these things, I began to think of what some of your stories may be like, what some of your backgrounds may be like. You heard me uh, last week standing here teaching that we need to reach and build and raise. For some, you may have never thought of the church in those terms. Some of us are fine with coming to church and hearing a good message Maybe we like the music, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully the minister shares a message that we can relate to, and really that's all we're looking for. It's a very, uh, 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 I'll call it a very ordinary way of looking at things, but I have a confession for all of you. I believe that you and I, both of us, all of us, are meant for so much more. We're meant for so much more. I believe that this church can become more than it's, uh, can become, sorry, excuse me, uh, better and more than it's ever been on its best day. I believe for greatness. I believe that God is providing the ingredients to an amazing move of his power and witness in our region. Some of you look at me sometimes and I think you wonder what I think of you as individuals. Here's what I think of everyone as individuals when we look at each other in our church family. I think that God has put you here for a reason. I don't think that just because we're the only Pentecostal church in town and we're the only church maybe that has a children's ministry on Sundays, we're the only church that plays a certain kind of music, that that's why you're here. I don't believe any of those things are true. I believe that God brought you here with purpose even if you find, even if you think it's a mistake, every time I go back down south and see my friends, they look at me like, you're still alive. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like, what do you think is going on up there? They, we have food. We have electricity. We have Wi-Fi. Everything's good, all right? Oh, man. But I believe that God has provided the ingredients to an amazing move of God for our region. And it's us. 
if you don't feel worthy or qualified, remember I talked about all the unqualified people last week? Guess what, folks? You better run out the door right now because he thinks that you are qualified to see his plan unfold in this place. I believe that what the Lord has in store is much more than just the town limits of Espanola. I believe the Lord looks at us as our, at our church as a regional hub. The Lord has a plan for this region. He has a plan for this region. Do you know that there are technically between three and 4,000 people within the Espanola town limits. Do you know that? There's an exact number. I don't know what it is, but it's between three and 4,000 people. I know the sign says something different, but I got the facts, all right? It's true. But here's the deal. Espanola serves over 25,000 people in this area. So it's not just Espanola. It's the area. There's 25 plus thousand people. You see, we need to shift our vision from looking in front of us to what is beyond our eyesight, beyond just our vision to what the Lord sees in and through us. Have any of you walked up the Willisville Hill, or whatever it's called? Okay, thank you, a few of you. All right. I did it once again recently with my family, all right? Now, I thought about doing it again, but the snow's scaring me a little bit because there's a few slippery, like, inclined spots. I'm not sure. Anyways, some of you, I'm sure, have done it in the winter. Anyways, but the truth is when you get up to that hilltop, that mountaintop, what do you see? You see the greatness of the land, right? That's what happens when we get perspective. When you're at the bottom of that hill, what do you see? Good old Canadian rock. That's what you see. You see rock. But when you get to the top, you can see the beauty of the land. The same is true for our church. When we just look in front of us, we just see what's in front of us. But when we look beyond, we begin to see God's plan for his people here. Can I get really transparent with everyone this morning? Can I do that? All right, thank you. Oh, you guys love it when I get like this. Okay, I know some people think that I'm a little off my rocker sometimes. That's an older term. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But, and, and sometimes I hear blamed on this because I, I, I hear rumors every once in a while. None of you would say any of these things. It's all the other people that, anyways. It's blamed on me being from the city. All right? That's what it is. But here's, here's the flip side to that. I may have told you this before. When I was first a youth pastor in Toronto, I had to win over a bunch of punk, and I can't use the other words, teenagers, because they just heard that I grew up in Barrie, and I was a country boy. All right, that's what they thought of me. I didn't understand them. I, I didn't understand their culture. That was their opinion when they met me. Let me reassure you, joking aside, let me reassure you of this. If you feel uncomfortable or that the preaching that I give is stretching to us and that I'm asking us to think beyond our four walls of this church, let me tell you something. There is a reason why you feel uncomfortable. There is a reason. It is the Holy Spirit working in and through us. I believe that God is calling us to greater days. The prophet Haggai prophesied this, and you've heard it before, but I believe it's still true today. It says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. That's God's plan, is that the, the, uh, the, 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 the coming glory would be greater than what was behind us. 
that it would be greater. Revelation 21 verse 5 says, this is the Lord once again speaking. He says, behold, I am making all things new. You see, I believe the Lord is doing a new thing in our church. You see, like I mentioned last week, we are life and light. We are reaching. We are building. We are raising the people of God in this region. So today, that was just an introduction. Today, let's look to today's message. We are timeless. All right, I want you to write that down. We are timeless. Our church will always possess these traits that I'm going to talk about today. They are our history and our future. There's a song that I was reminded of with this statement, the future's past. You see, our church will always possess these traits I'm about to unfold for us. They are our history and they are our future. Here's the first one. The Bible. That is a trait of this church. The Bible. The Bible is a God-inspired account about Jesus from cover to cover. From the first pages of Genesis to the last words of Revelation, it is God's word. It is alive. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Passion Translation says it this way, Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature, perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment that God gives you. Just last night, I was uh, spending time with the Lord, and I looked at my bookmark. I don't know if I have it with me anymore. I may have left it on my, anyways, it's somewhere around here. And it said these words on my bookmark. And I've read it before, but I was thinking about this morning, and it just fits so well. It says these words. These, are, these words are the introduction words that you would see in a Gideon's Bible on one of the first pages. It says this, the Bible contains the mind of God the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is open and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our, our, uh, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who tr uh, trifle with its sacred contents. What deep words, are they not? Could you put up the slide with the hockey stick, Val? When I was about Leland's age, 
uh, the uh, the uh, Snyder family, I'm not trying to break here, but we are quite well known in Fergus, Ontario, okay? And uh, one of my cousins was a really, uh, well, he still is. I shouldn't say he was. That was mean. Uh, uh, many of my cousins are good hockey players. One in particular really excelled at hockey. And so when I was a kid, we spent a lot of time in the Fergus Arena uh, when I was visiting my grandparents, just hanging out. So one of my greatest achievements as a kid was I won a raffle at a hockey tournament. All right, I don't know if anyone has uh, participated in this. Can you believe it? I couldn't. I could not believe that I won this raffle. I'm not sure if this has happened to anyone else here, but uh, I was, I, you know, that feeling of looking down and seeing your winning ticket and your numbers called, and this is your moment of glory, and it's all coming into this moment. So this was no ordinary hockey stick. I didn't know this at that exact time when I was in my uh, early childhood years, but this was no ordinary hockey stick. This was a Wayne Gretzky hockey stick. Now, when I was a kid, Wayne Gretzky was still playing hockey and was still real good, all right? And uh, so the, uh, he's, I'm sure he's amazing still. He, he could definitely kick my butt, all right? But anyways, this was an awesome, oh, I'm so excited. Now, do you think that just by having Wayne Gretzky's hockey stick that I could play like the great one? Anyone believe it? Come on, you don't have to deny it so strongly, all right? My goodness. So just by having one of his pieces of equipment, his hockey stick, and this was one of those metal ones, it was cold on the ice, and you could, anyways, you're not supposed to beat people with them anymore, but we did in those days, right? In the same way, your Bible that is in your hand or on your nightstand, sitting beside your reading seat at home, is weakened without your devotion to the Scriptures and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It can become just a book. You see, the Word of God can be used as a book of knowledge. Lots of people read the Bible as a knowledge book. Oh, this is wonderful information. It's used as a knowledge book. But you and I know that the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God, His breath in written form is much more than just a book. It's much more. But you see, for the believer, it is a double-edged sword that is banned in some nations. People have died transporting this word. To this day, people smuggle this book, this Bible, into nations that know its power. It is faith-building. It is giant-slaying. It is nation-altering. Words that, uh, when fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they can move the mountains. It changes circumstances. It raises people from the dead. It makes the most intelligent realize they are powerless in a world that craves power and authority. You see, rulers bow to its author and creator. Nations are turned upside down when it's read. And people, uh, groups become an army of giant slaying, ground-shaking generals when these words turn from ink on a page to breath in their bones. These words are breathed by God to empower, instruct, correct, bring courage, and increase our faith. This is a weapon against the world, against people who would reject the being and deity of God. Our first point is the Bible. These things won't change. It is a wrecking crew coming at us if we just read it and live it out in our lives and obey the words that are spoken in these scriptures. So our first thought is, Bible. 
Our second is this, mission. Last week I spent most of my time discussing our mission. It's simply to reach, raise, and build. Well, why those things? Why, Pastor? Why would we uh, believe those things? Because here's the truth, church. People, you, me, and everyone else, people, we matter to God. We matter to God. I believe our church has done a great job focusing on Jerusalem and Judea. But I believe there is a day soon approaching where we must go to the ends of the earth. Last week I mentioned that I'd been to Africa on a missions trip a number of years ago. Like many of you, I've seen many pictures and video of Africa over the years. I've heard some stories about the challenges in different nations in Africa. I even have many African friends because of my ministry time in Toronto. But you see, when you land on the ground in a foreign land, begin to look at its geography, step down and grab a piece of the dirt from the ground, take a deep breath to smell its land, take in its culture. When you stop and listen to the noise in the air, it goes deep into your being. It goes deep. That's something that a picture and a video can't tell me about someplace maybe far away. I believe that we can make a difference when we can be a part of seeing the life, seeing life change, not just in our own region, but in parts of the world that we've never imagined before. That we've never imagined before. The scriptures say this from Matthew 28. You know it so well. I share it almost on a weekly basis, I feel like. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, we must go. Go, 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 go. Our days of sitting here on the sidelines have to end. We must go. And here's the promise. The Lord Jesus is with us to the end of the age. Right? Here's our third one, spiritual family. Now raise your hand for this one. How many people have crazy family? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. If you have crazy family, then we're not going to compare, but let we all got them, right? So here's the deal. If there's nobody crazy in your family that you can think of, maybe that's because you are the crazy one. All right? Just think about that for a second. The scriptures say this in Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, distri and distributing sorry, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day, to, day by day those who were being saved. So what do we learn from the early church? Some of us like talking about this text. Some of us don't. But what do we learn from the early church? Here's what, the first thing we learn. They were devoted. They were devoted. When I read this and, the, and think how often 
we have trouble finding volunteers for this or that thing going on in the church, in our church. It makes me wonder, these early church people were devoted. These were devoted people. All right, here's the second thing we learned. They fellowshiped regularly. You see, some of us are great at this. Some of us are so good at fellowshipping, it just oozes out of us. We're just fellowshipping all the time. I've noticed that when you get retired, you just fellowship. I'm not sure, but uh, apparently that's my problem. But anyways, uh, there's just fellowshipping oozing out of uh, some of us. But the flip side is some of us need some work when it comes to fellowship. You see, fellowship with one another is critical to our spiritual development and growth. It's critical. I find lots of Christians, especially I've noticed that there's a higher percentage of them in these areas. Christians that, oh man, pastor, I love the Lord. He's so good to me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm with you. And I don't need to go to church because me and Jesus, we got this thing going on in my shed. We got this thing going on in the bush. And I just go out there, chill out, and then me and Jesus, we have a good time together. Well, here's the deal. Fellowship with one another is critical to our spiritual development and growth. It's critical. If you feel like you've not been able to gather with some people recently, maybe life has gotten away from you, gotten busy. How many of you know uh, we're coming into the most wonderful time of the year slash the craziest freaking month of my life every year, all right? If you feel like you've not been able to gather with some people recently, invite them, invite someone over for coffee and tea this week and see what the Lord will do. Do you know that even me, I'm a pastor, I can manage my own time, I can hang out with whoever whenever I want to, even I get busy with stupid things. You know what I get busy about sometimes? Do you know what I got busy about this week? The stupid picture in the bulletin was discolored, and it was driving me crazy, all right? Now, I know some of you don't even look at the picture on the bulletin, but I do, all right? And I usually pick the picture quickly, but the picture was not coming out of the pr- printer correctly. So finally, I figured it out. That's what I got distracted with this week. That little ugh, piece of paper, that little document on my computer that we print off every week, it caused me distraction, caused me time away from connecting with other people and uh, many other things, of course. Here's another thing we learned. So we learned that uh, the early church were devoted, that they fellowship regularly together. Here's one of my personal favorites. They love to eat. They love to eat. It's amazing what we learn of one another and what the Spirit of the Lord speaks when we break bread together. I learned this, and don't pretend you're different, no matter how old you are. I learned this a long time ago. When I, a young person would not speak to me because they were scared of me, hated me, thought I was ugly, maybe smelled a little bit, thought I would be an embarrassment to even be in the same vicinity socially together. Here was my secret sauce. Would you like to go to McDonald's this week and have, well, I would say Big Macs, but anyways, you know, anyways, we would eat together <laughs> is the point. And, or, I, or actually, you know what I, I would actually say? I would actually say, you want to go get some curry together. That's what I would actually say. But anyways, everyone loves McDonald's anyways. But the truth is, it's amazing what we learn of one another and what the Spirit of the Lord speaks when we break bread together. Some of the most significant vision moments of our church has happened over breaking bread together. Frank and I in the back are so famous at one of the local restaurants that we don't even need menus anymore. 
they just come and they just deliver and boom, it's there. They know Frank's order. They know my order. And they joke with us. Uh, they actually give us a menu most times. But they say, do you need to open it? And I think that's a bit of a low blow. Yes, I want to think about it. But I, I, we always get the same thing. But anyways, the truth is, is that amazing things happen while breaking bread together. It does. Now, it doesn't have to be at a restaurant. You can go anywhere you want. You can go in your backyard and have some barbecue together. So they ate together. Here's another one. They prayed. Whoa, can you believe it? They prayed together. It's so great. We have another time of prayer. Did you guys know there's another prayer time coming up just around the corner? I don't know if you do. Another prayer uh, and fasting opportunity coming up at the start of the new year. Can you believe it's nearly 2020? 2020. Wow. Now, I was born in the 80s, so I know that that doesn't seem that far from 2020, but let me tell you something. 2020 is an interesting number. So many of our congregation are devoted to prayer throughout the year. We love to pray. It's something we've taken from the early church. I love that about us. And so many are devoted. But I want to encourage you today. Let me make this statement to you. Prayer leads to signs and wonders. Did you know that, church? Prayer leads to signs and wonders. And we also learned this again from the early church. Signs and wonders must mark our spiritual family. This early church, signs and wonders was a normal thing that happened around them. You see, signs and wonders bring us into unity of the Spirit. It brings us together. It brings us, it, it, it brings us into a common ground. It takes away all those distractions, all those silly little things. I've said before and I'll say again, when the church isn't within its calling or, or vision or focus, it begins to fight and claw at one another. Have you noticed this? When a church isn't going down the right path, it begins to fight and claw at one another. We fight over things like hymn books, song choices, acoustic or electric instruments, the position of the cross on the stage, the placement of the Lord's Supper, the translation of the scripture that that stinking pastor won't stop reading, the decorations, the carpet, the pews, the chairs, the flake, the fake plants. Oh my, it's horrible. That's what we fight over. I lost my spot. Signs and wonders lead the church to a spirit of unity. Picking the carpet color does not. Let me <laughs> no way, okay? Trust me, I've been picking colors lately, and it's not been an agreement, all right? Signs and wonders lead the church to a spirit of unity. The spiritual family is called to be generous. So we had signs and wonders. We learned that from the early church. We learned this next one. The spiritual family is called to be generous. Now here's the deal. I've learned much about giving recently. I've taught on giving many times, but I've learned a lot recently. Some people, now you can close your eyes at me or turn away or run out the door. It's okay, whatever you want. But some people get angry when the pastor, the minister talks about giving to the church. Some ministers, I know people that are in this camp, okay, so we need to pray for their churches. Some ministers can't even bring up giving, like giving a dollar kind of giving, in their own churches, lest they be chased out with pitch, pitchforks 
and other instruments of destruction. Now think about this. It's hunting season. <laughs> so there are other instruments of destruction available, readily available. Church, here's the deal. The early church was generous. Church, let me tell you, we need to be very generous. What if we just doubled what we felt led to give to God? Think about that. What if we just doubled? Now, I know some of you are hating on me right now a little bit. You're saying, Pastor Jay, I got no money left. Now, here's the deal. I know all about no money, okay? <laughs> I know it full well, but it doesn't stop us from giving to the Lord. It needs to be the first thing we think of, the first fruits of our labors we give back to, the, uh, to God. Church, we need to be very generous. Consider doubling whatever God is calling you to give. Our spiritual family will uh, be daily in God's word, all right? Our spiritual family will be daily in God's word. That's what we learned from the early church, whether in the early hours of the morning at dawn or maybe in the wee hours of the night at dark, let's find time with God. We can't replace it with anything else. And finally, we learn uh, from this text that the early church's devotion to these things led to praise and favor. You see, our praise leads to the favor of God. Have you noticed that when we remove distractions, when we stop talking about fake plants, we begin to open the windows of heaven and see the favor of God come upon our lives? Now, I have five points. I've officially run out of time. Joanne's not here, so I can mention that. So we're on number four. And the fourth one is this, generosity. Since I've already touched on giving, I'll be brief. Here's what the scriptures say. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The message translates it this way, the message translation. Remember, a stingy planter, I love it, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give that, that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. Amen. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. When it comes to your giving, make a plan. Make a plan for your giving. See, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't be stingy. Make up your own mind what you will give. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's our fifth and final one today, development. Here we're going to close. The byproduct, actually, Jackie, could you help me since you're here? The byproduct of what I've shared with you today leads us back to last week. Reach, raise, and build. I believe that each one in this room will continue to develop, grow, and excel in all areas of life. When we believe and live out God's word cover to cover, live life on mission, are a part of the spiritual family, are generous, we will also develop, grow, and excel in every area of our lives. Her name wasn't Jen, her name was Julia, because I have it written down. Julia, from the video off the top, mentioned this phrase that has stuck with me all week since I heard it earlier this week. Let's all do our something. You can't do everything. I can't do everything. But let's all do our something. So we need to ask God, what is that something? The worship team was a great example today of their something that they're giving to God. Pastor Katie's team yesterday with the craft market was a great example of their something that they can give to God. 
You see, don't concern yourself with all the problems, all the obstacles, all the tasks. Let's do our something. Let's do our something. Our something brings us back to reaching, to raising, and building. That's what our something does. So let's end here for today. Let's pray, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us.